Hello, uh, this is Cynthia Montgomery, the author of The Strategist, and you're listening to a podcast on Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Basically, uh, who I am is I, I teach strategy um, at the Harvard Business School. And before that, I was teaching at uh, the Kellogg School at Northwestern and before that at the University of Michigan. So I've been in this a long time. Now, I, I have to ask because you, you are, um, for those in, in the academic world um, that study business and study strategy, your, your name is one that comes up often, um, especially alongside people like a Michael Porter. Um, but yeah. yet, you have a, in reading The Strategist, you have a little bit different approach to um, strategy or even, I should say, the role of leaders in setting the strategy um, than some of the names that you've, you've published alongside. Um, yeah. And I have, to, I have to ask, uh, I guess the, the right way to say it is, what happened to strategy? It seems like it's just uh, an, an analytical process now um, when it used to be something else. But what happened to strategy? Yeah, yeah, you know that's a, that's a great question because I you know I was there at at the, at the moment and or at, in the decades actually and it's it, it's really interesting it's um, it's a great question that what happened was historically strategy back when I was a doctoral student strategy was um, part of general management and basically they talked about the uh, presidential point of view so. As as a business school student, you went through and you took a course in marketing and finance and human resources and all of that. And then at the end, you took what was called the capstone course, which was now you had to have the perspective of a general manager or the president of the organization, and you had to see holistically. And some of the early writers in general management said that the president is the architect of organization purpose and really thought holistically about uh, the, the enterprise. And from there, uh, there was the SWOT model, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And what happened was that uh, we had the framework, but we didn't have a lot of rigor uh, in terms of how to analyze your firm itself or how to analyze the environment. And what Porter did was he took the opportunities and threats side of the SWOT model, and he really dove down deeply, and he, he helped us understand in a much more systematic way how to, how to assess a, the attractiveness of a business environment. And it was truly, it was absolutely a revolution, absolutely. And what was going on at the same time was that business schools were being criticized for teaching work that wasn't um, rooted in a lot of research and um, that it was uh, more flash than substance. And so there was this big push on to make business a social science and to, um, to encourage faculty in business schools to do academic research. And so that was a big wave that happened too, and those two things went together. And strategy became researchable in a way that it had never been before. And also it, it transformed practice because... A lot of consulting firms got started during this period uh, focusing on strategy because strategy became more tractable and it became an area where an, uh, analysis really paid off. So what happened, and, and I have to tell you, it was part of the problem um, because having done my doctoral training at that time and, and doing large sample empirical research, um, it, it was really where strategy was at the time. And so that in itself, I think, is a really good thing. It was an advancement. Um, 
without without question. But what happened was that along the way we lost something, and what we lost was we lost the the, the leader. Um, basically, um, we started thinking about strategy as an analytical problem to be solved. And um, you bring in the best and the brightest, and you crack the case, more or less. And um, it's really interesting to think about how then teaching in business schools changed. And I think, honestly, what happened was that strategies become more or less like a function. And you learn to be um, an analyst to help a company come up with its strategy. And somewhere along the way, we've really um, lost the whole perspective of this sort of capstone idea or being being a leader. So, you know, it, it happened slowly. Um, it was an unintended consequence. But I think we need to, to change things now. And we need to get leadership back into strategy. Um, you know, another way to think about it, too, is that leadership has gone the other way. Leadership has become all about behavior and leading change and building a great culture and being a leader of people, which is enormously important, of course. But they've left out strategy. And so if you go into a lot of leadership courses, for example, it's very hands-on and it's very people-oriented. But if leaders get strategy wrong, everything else they do is at risk. So it's, it's funny how leadership has gone off in one direction uh, and strategy's gone off in the other direction. And what we really need is we need to merge the two of them. Yeah, and I um, I, I want to say I, I felt like there's a lot of I, – I I tend to throw myself into the strategy debate, and I, I, I think the easiest way to simplify the strategy debate is you have what, – what I see a lot is you have – you have Porter and you have the analysis camp, and then you basically have uh, the, the Mintzberg camp, which is not yeah. necessarily saying instead of analysis, do this. It's just saying, oh, this is way too difficult to analyze. You've got to let it yeah. emerge. Yeah. And, and, yes. and when I first picked up the strategist, I, kind of, I felt like that's where we're going to go. But I thought it did a great job of marrying the two in a sense that analysis is important. A leader has to be there to figure out what the strategy is as it emerged to react to, to critical events and that sort of thing. And really... I thought that's that's the key element in the in the battle between these kind of two camps is both of them um, actually assume that you don't necessarily need the senior leader in the organization. And I love the strategist. The, the one of the key messages that I got out of it was that you you do in order to do both of these, you need a, a one person who understands it, who is is leading that strategy. And so um, I, I want to ask you what what specifically do you view the role of that senior leadership role in in setting the strategy and determining the strategy and, and even playing it out in operations. Yeah. You know, David, I have to say first, though, that, that your characterization is right on. I mean, that's exactly right, that where we have had people in strategy, it's become this sort of emergent process. But in that, in some sense, in, in, in that view, the leader um, loses a lot of impact um, because it's almost like strategy happens, you know. And, and I, I think you're right that, that um, what, what I try to do in The Strategist is to put the leader in as, as an active uh, player. And so what's a strategist do, you know? It's a, it's a good question. That what, what strikes me is that the most important thing that a leader has to do is they have to figure out what is the purpose of this company or this organization, whatever, that that's really where it all starts. It's, you know, why does the world need this organization? And, you know, it sounds exceedingly philosophical, but I can tell you it's exceedingly practical. 
um, the first time I actually had an experience with this, um, when uh, many, many years ago we did a, re a research project on restaurants. And we went out and talked to a lot of restaurants and asked them who were their clientele and, you know, and why did they decide to locate in this particular location and all of these kinds of questions. And I have to tell you, I was a young researcher at the time, and I was sort of struck by the fact that ah, they hadn't thought about all that. And they didn't have a clear idea uh, of what they, what they were bringing to the market. And sure enough, you know, a couple of years later, you know, something like 70% of them were gone. And, you know, they come and go, they come and go. But this was recently um, driven home to me. I was talking with a guy in Copenhagen who had spent his career managing Ritz-Carlton restaurants around the world and all these kind of exotic places. And his wife, who was Danish, wanted to go back home. And so they moved back to Copenhagen. And he got this uh, job managing a restaurant that had been a very famous restaurant at one point in time. But it was two blocks off the main pedestrian street in Copenhagen where all the tourist restaurants are and so on. And uh, they're very heavy traffic. And I was talking to him about the, the, the strategist when I was working on it. And what he said is, look, you know, what I've got to do is I've got to figure out why people will walk two blocks off the pedestrian street to come to this restaurant. And that's it. You know, that's, that's the idea. And you could see, you know, he's a strategist. I mean, he's really thinking about why, why does Copenhagen need this restaurant? And why will, what will make a customer walk two blocks to get here? And that's the core question where it all starts. Um, you know, if you think about somebody like Ron Johnson trying to turn around pennies, you know, not quite un <laughs> unsuccessfully it seems so far, that's the question he's got to answer. You know, why, why does the world need pennies? It's got a lot of other stores, a lot of other options, online and, and uh, brick and mortar. So why do we need JCPenney's? You know, why do we need Facebook? Right? At the core of all of that is what does this organization bring to the world? And so that's and where I, it all starts. So, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think there's a great uh, distinction you make in trying to figure out that purpose, too, where, you know, traditionally when, when we sit down, organizations design their mission statements, et cetera, it's, it's not wh why do we exist more. I mean, it is. It's, they try and answer why do we exist, but there's a, there's a very me focus to it. It's what are we trying to do? And I love you. You ask a question. I think it's in the second chapter where you ask if, if your company went out of business, how long would it take for your customers to find somebody else that meets their needs? And it's a real reality check question. It's not... How, why do you exist? It's what purpose do, do your customers get from you that they can't yeah. get anywhere else? And it's also, um, although it's cumbersome to always talk economic purpose, economic purpose, but you know, I, I felt that I had to say in, in, in the book that really what I mean is the economic purpose of an organization because an organization can have a mission that's broad and goes well beyond who it is as a player. But what I'm really trying to highlight is you as a player in your market. And, it, you know, New York Times matters. There's no question New York Times matters. But, you know, if you think about the economic uh, success of the New York Times, the question is, will people pay? And is the willingness to pay there for that product? And so when I think of economic purpose, it's the same with Facebook. I mean, Facebook matters. There's no question Facebook matters. But does it met in terms of the economic purpose? Can they generate um, sufficient profits for themselves and their shareholders now going forward um, because they're there? And 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 you know that's really the rub. 
is that do you matter in a way that people are willing to pay sufficiently high prices for you to stay in business? And if the answer to that is no, you have failed your organization. Um, it's it's really it's 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 where it all starts, and it's what it's what a leader owes a company. So, you know, it's not just the idea. It's when uh, in in the book I have a, a chapter on Domenico De Sole and this amazing turnaround of of the Gucci Group. And you know what you can see in what De Sole did is that it starts with an idea. It starts with an idea of who you are and why you'll matter. But you've got to take that idea and you've got to turn it into a whole business model or what I call a system of advantage, which is, okay, how do you go from idea uh, to really being able to deliver on that promise? And that's just building this whole system of advantage with all of the activities um, that a company is pursuing or an organization. This is, this is for profit and nonprofit organizations. It's the same thing. But you have to say if that's your purpose and that's what you want to do, so then what should you be doing in your supply chain? What should you be doing in HR? What should you be doing in your stores or whatever? And so you've got to tailor your model to, do, to enact that purpose. And so the strategist has responsibility for that too. Strate- being a strategist is not just about thinking great thoughts. It's about setting a, you know, setting a course and um, putting in place the organization to carry it out. And I'm, I'm glad you actually brought up the Gucci example. I was I was getting ready to to break with the routine questions and ask you to to tell it because it's a great it's a great um, case study of a of a company that literally did um, started out with a great purpose and with a great group of customers and was a brand that customers would go out of their way for. Got cheapened and diluted and eventually knocked off to where people weren't. I mean, I actually I think I remember at one point being in New York City and being offered to buy a, a fake Gucci watch off the street. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and now you know they've they've brought the brand back into something that that is significant that is um, that is worth walking two blocks off the road in Copenhagen yeah. for. I mean, I, yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know the contrast between um, if you think about two different retailers, one is the Gucci Group and the other is, say, Pennies now, that what's different is that they bo- both of those CEOs had a very clear idea of, of what they wanted the, the, the company to be. But DeSole built this whole system of advantage to carry out his, his idea. And if you look at, at, at Pennies, that's where Johnson is really running into trouble. I mean, he, he really understood that he wanted this to be an experience-based um, retailer um, and that you had to do that to pull away from the morass of the you know, department store retailing these days. But where he really got into trouble is building that model and, and, and taking that idea and translating it into a system of advantage that will really deliver. And he just hasn't been able to do it. Um, so it really underscores that it's this... It's not just thinking great thoughts. It's that you have to think great thoughts and be able to translate them into an organization that can can bring it alive. And that's that's where a lot of strategists fail. Yeah, and you, um, in order to help um, strategists not fail as often, you actually offer a really nice tool um, called the Strategy Wheel that I think connects. Um, that that level of purpose that we've been talking about to all of those different operations. Can you uh, briefly tell us a little bit about the strategy wheel and how uh, leaders can use it to be the strategist that their organization needs? Yeah. You know, um, this is something, it, it, the strategy wheel goes back to um, the original 
uh, general management field when they were thinking about the role of the president. And what I found in working with actually, you know, very sophisticated executives um, who have paid a lot of money to, to come to, to to programs, that I found that a lot of managers, it's a lot easier for them to to look at somebody else's company and analyze somebody else's strategy and make great suggestions. Um, and as an instructor, what I found is that, you know, you can think, hey, I'm really making progress here. These people, this is this is really rocking. You know, these people really get this. And what happened then was um, an introduction to the book is uh, called What I Learned in Office Hours. Because that was really interesting that these people used to come in and they would talk to me. You know, it would start out oftentimes we'd talk about, you know, something we talked about in class and, and you know, we'd go a little bit deeper on that, and you know, and oftentimes that was that was enough. But there are a number of other times where basically we you know we'd start talking about the strategy of, of of their company. And what I realized is that a lot of these people, although they were great in class analyzing somebody else's strategy or making great insightful comments, that when they talked to you about their own strategy and what they were doing in their own company that they really didn't have it together. And um, and I also saw how much these questions meant to them, that uh, that they realized that as the head of their, their business or their head of their organization, that if it was going to happen, they had to start with them. And so what what I did then was I developed an exercise and actually got them to... to apply the concepts that we've been talking about and the insights that we've been developing to apply them to their own own companies. So that's what we use this, this so-called strategy wheel for, which is you know, there's a place in the center and you've got to figure out, you've got to start at the beginning, you've got to say, what is it you're trying to do? I mean, what's the economic purpose of this organization? And then around the, the, the wheel, you put all of the major activities that you're undertaking as a firm. And what, what happens is as you start to write it down, um, I, we have a lot of um, students from all over the world. People think, oh, you know, my problem with this is that, you know, I, English isn't my mother tongue. That, you know, I'm, so I'm having trouble getting the words down here. But what they don't know is that, you know, all the English speakers are having trouble too because it's not, it's not wordsmithing, you know. It's like, what's the strategy? And, and they realize it's kind of that moment of truth that um, when they actually have to put it down on paper, you know, they realize, hey, you know, maybe this is part of the problem. This isn't as scintillating as I thought. And that whole process of writing it down forces you to be clear about what you're doing, and it gives you an opportunity to look carefully at the pieces versus the whole, you know, in the sense that, you know, look at your sales force and what you're trying to do with your sales force, and then how does that fit what the purpose is? And if you look at, you know, what you're doing in sales, how does that fit with what you're doing with supply chain and so on and so on. So once you get it down, then you can start evaluating it in a much more rigorous way than you did before. So what I'd like to do is so that that chapter in the book developed because I found that, you know, really talented people find it difficult to um, go from sort of abstract insights to what does this really do for me? So... I've really changed my whole way of teaching strategy and that talk about that all the examples of the rich and famous companies 
That's just a jumping off point. That the only reason, if this works, the only reason it works is because it works for you and because you can take these ideas and you can make them work in your company. And so now that's a big part of of what what we do in the classroom is is taking their own and and yeah they all get up and they present their their strategies to you know, the other people in the class and and we, it starts out they present them to eight other people and then that group picks one to go forward and then that person gets to present to probably 90 people and then so we have 10 people presenting to a class of 90 and then that class picks one that wins and then you know the other class picks one that wins and and by the end, um, everybody's been engaged in the process. Everybody's been engaged in writing their strategy and ha- having it critiqued by someone else. And we all learn from the process. And we learn firsthand by actually putting pen to paper and, and forcing yourself to confront the reality of your own business. So that's what I've tried to capture in the book is this whole thing of you and your business. And it's a very intimate connection. Um, as a strategist, and so to really, you know, start with what you know, and and, and be deliberate. So that's that's what and that's the aim. Yeah, and there's a there's a much larger uh, movement I think that that this book is a part of. Like you said, you redesigned how you teach strategy. Um, I think a lot of people are are redesigning uh, just what to teach and what to uh, use when they're doing corporate, both corporate strategy, nonprofit strategy. Um, any any organization, I think there's a there's a shift into moving path beyond just analysis, trying to synthesize the the two camps, as it were. And I think the strategist is a great tool to pick up um, to do that. I, I want to shift a, a little bit from the strategist to you and ask you a few questions. Uh, what are, yeah, what are sure. you reading right now? Ah, you know, that's a good question. You know, ah, what I'm reading um, over the uh, the Christmas break, we went to Panama. And and saw the Panama Canal, and I'm I'm not an engineer, and engineering marvels of the world haven't really moved me a lot in the past, but I became really fascinated with the uh, with the Panama Canal, and what I've been reading is this fantastic book uh, by David uh, McCullough called uh, The Path Between the Seas, and it's about building the Panama Canal, and it, it's, <laughs> it's very long, but it's riveting. And, and from some, the perspective of somebody who's interested in management, oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> what it took to go from conception to, you know, the, at the end, the execution of that project is just, it, it's just so eye-opening. And, and to see how... The whole thing started with there was a misplaced analogy at the start, and the the guy who was championing the uh, Panama Canal had championed the um, Suez Canal, and so what he did was he reasoned from that analogy and said, okay, you know, the Panama Canal is going to be like the Suez Canal, and the the geography was completely different, and um. And they they used this misplaced analysis, uh, analogy, and he pushed everybody away who tried to present a different point of view, and he proceeded with a complete wrong conceptualization of what the canal had to be. And if you're interested in how ideas form 
in an organization and how they move forward and and so on. It's just it's a fascinating um, study of a big idea and how you know it got botched over and over again. So anyway, it's a great book. Yeah, no, it, it it sounds like it. And David McCullough is the one that wrote uh, 1776, right? So yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I already know it's 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 well written. It sounds like a great story. Yeah, exactly. The guy to write it. Well, that's that's exciting. And then I know we're in we're in the midst of the book launch, and and I know you've got a lot of other uh, irons in the fire. But what's next for you? What projects are you looking forward to? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, after working with these owner managers and who basically um that's where it starts if if it's going to happen in their strategy in their company it starts with them i've been now i'm working in a program where it's uh with leaders from large established global companies so these are people who one day i you know it is. It's pretty likely that one of these one day, one or more of these one day, will be a leader of a uh, really large um, global company. And but these are but they're in route, you know. And and these are people who have been chosen uh, to for very high levels of investment by their companies, and they're here. And it's been really interesting for me to work with them because some of them are clearly strategists because they're responsible for a pretty substantial line of business, even up to a couple billion dollars in their companies. Um, And so they really are strategists, and they're doing it right now, right there. And and so how I've thought about it historically fits very well with them. But, you know, a lot of the others are – they might be head of supply chain for companies that we all know all over the world – um, but they're not the general manager. They're not the strategist. And um, what's been interesting for me is to think about what, is, what does it mean for pe- other people in the organization, so not just the leader um, who ultimately has to make these, these critical choices and put in place the system to, to carry them out, but what does it mean if you're somewhere in that system? And, you know, I'll just give you an example of this, that um, we're talking – you know, how is strategy made in your company? And we got into this discussion the other day, and one guy said, well, you know, like 20 people go off every year to an off-site, and they're gone for, you know, three to five days. And they work on the strategy, and some of it trickles down. And, you know, so we we're saying, is that, you know, is that really what happened? I mean, is that is that good? Is that a good model of strategy? Then I called on another guy in the class who's from uh, an airline, and this is one of the, you know, very top airlines in the world. And uh, they really wanted to, to increase their performance and, and, uh, and you know, basically up their game. And, and so we started talking to him. And what, what does strategy mean in your company? And he said, you know, basically it's something that we all are involved with. We all know what the strategy is. And he talked about why that had to be so. Because everybody in the company, when they're trying to, you know, decide, you know, how do we handle this luggage question or how do we, you know, what should we do with fees, um, that they need to know sort of what what it is overall the company's trying to do. And so we basically said everybody knows. And so what I realized is this whole thing about, first of all, if you're in a company, you have a right to know what the strategy is, and you need to press to know what it is, because if you don't know what it is, you can't execute your your part of the bargain well. So what I'm thinking about, and, and the other thing is, 
I'm really into, I want a rebrand strategy. Um, that in this book, what I did was I wanted to put people back into strategy. And now, um, having had experience talking with a lot of people about this and working with these executives from these very large firms, I, I realized that what we've got to really do is we've got to rebrand strategy. We have to reimagine strategy and what it is. And so instead of this kind of detached analytical thing that's kind of sitting out there and it's kind of you know, neutral to cold and affect, I think we've got to make, you know, strategy something people want to embrace and something that people see as something vibrant and alive and energetic and and something that, you know, they are energized by um, as as a person in a company. And I'll I just give you an example of this, that I ask people to free associate when you think of the word strategy. And it's interesting, first of all, how detached and analytical the words are that they come back with, almost no feeling at all, no affect um, that, that's warm or exciting in any of the words. And then almost nobody says anything to have to do with people. Um, it, it's all of this detached stuff. Nobody says strategist. Nobody says leader. And so it's this disembodiment. And so... My next thing is going to be thinking about really taking this up. Um, and um, there's just so much unlocked potential there. And But we've got to make it move from something sort of dead and dormant and detached to something that's real and vibrant and engaging. Um, and not just for one person, but for the whole organization, because the whole organization is what, is, you know, what it takes to get the work done. And they all need to, to have a relationship with strategy. And they all need to, to, to really, you know, feel a, a connection with the purpose of, of what the organization is about. So um, that's, that's the next thing on the agenda. Well, and it's a, it's a lofty ideal, but one that I think uh, needs to be done. You know, we, I, I'm thinking as you were talking about rebranding strategy, and, and, and that's, a, well, that's a great title for a, for a follow-up book or at least an article. But yeah. be, beyond that, I, I think there, there's a bigger thing, too. When I see, you know, I, I deal primarily with undergraduate students, and you see them um, take, you know, the capstone course in almost any business program is that strategic yeah. management course, and you see a level of excitement, a level of, you know, there's sort of this feeling that we're going to be the real leaders, we're going to war game um, for the company. And then yeah. when it comes down to you hand them a calculator, and all of a sudden it, just the air goes out of the room. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to kind of get back. There, there's a, definitely a role in that analysis, but I think it definitely you're, you're on the right track. It needs to be put into that larger scope of what really attracted people to, to strategy in the first place. Yes, exactly. So please join the revolution. I mean, I really, I really mean it. I want to start um, a grassroots effort, and, and we can do this. I mean, I'm sure we can do this and, and get energy around the idea and – you know, and, and I, we can move the dial. We can really change. Um, and in changing, when I think about what could we get out of changing it, it, in terms of what, how people are attached to their work, or I guess I shouldn't say attached as much as involved with their work, and, you know, what it's all about, it really kicks it up to a, a much more, uh, much more meaning, much more, uh, involvement, uh, much it's much more alive, and you know. So when I think about what what are great, what 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 does a great leader need to do? They've got to give people a reason to be engaged, and 
this kind of detached analytical, I know what we're doing and you don't need to know. That's It's just crazy. It just doesn't work anymore. And um, so I, I really, you know, I'm really energized by this. And, and, and um, I think it makes strategy much more um, important to, to the lives of everybody who's in, in a company. So, you know, please yeah. join in. <laughs> Um, no, we will. I have a, we'll be. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I was just to say, I have a. Um, my my website is leaderstrategist.com. dot oh, com. And um, so that that would be great if if your your listeners, you know, want to join the revolution. Uh, I think it would really be fun. You know, imagine. Can you imagine, David? I mean, who's ever thought of strategy and fun? Right, <laughs> or, or strategy and emotion, or strategy and vibrancy, right? Well, these days, who who even feels of strategy and leadership together? And that's a shame. Yeah, right? that's it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cynthia, we 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 get it. We're we're bought in. We joined the revolution. We think there is a at Leader Lab. We're about leadership, innovation, and strategy, and the synthesis of all of those things. And I love that about the strategists. So thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. 